Well, good morning once more, and welcome back to week number four of a series called Dirty Bible Words. Back in the year 1741, this guy preached a very famous sermon about hell. I'll show you his picture. His name was Jonathan Edwards. He was a famous American pastor and theologian and the future president of Princeton. And his now famous sermon about hell that he preached that day was entitled, Sinners in the Hands of of an angry God. Uh, to his congregation in the northeastern part of the now United States, Edwards preached about the wrath and the justice and the holiness of God, that every one of us was like a little spider dangling from a web above the eternal fires and torments of hell. And if God in his justice snipped that web, every soul would plunge into eternal wrath. When he preached that sermon, it had a shocking and surprising impact across the American colonies. People were shocked and stunned and slapped into biblical repentance. They confessed their sins in massive amounts. In fact, it's now known as one of the greatest awakenings of Christian faith in all of American history. But 270 years after that sermon, in the year 2011, this guy wrote a now-famous book about the same subject. His name is Rob Bell. Uh, he was a famous American pastor. Uh, many books of his that I've read, many sermons that I've heard. And in the year 2011, he released a book called Love Wins. I remember reading it in a single sitting, sitting on the stairs in my old house. Bell claimed that this picture of God as an angry God was mistaken. That the picture that Jonathan Edwards and many others had painted about eternal punishment in hell was a misunderstanding. That if God really does love us, if God is love, as the Bible says, then hell simply couldn't exist. Bill said that in the end, sooner or later, love would win. Not justice, not wrath, not righteousness, but the love of God would win. And sooner or later, every single soul would end up in his presence in heaven. And and the book had a shocking impact on many people in America as well. Which brings me to the question, who is right? There's definitely been a shift in American churches and American Christianity from this old fire and brimstone, turn or burn, repent or else kind of faith to what seems to be a softer, gentler, more welcoming and inviting church experience. Some of you have seen it in your own lifetimes, and if you haven't, ask your grandparents who used to go to church if they ever heard a fire and brimstone sermon. They don't have to think for very long. That's what a sermon was. You heard just as much about hell as you did about heaven. You were very cognizant of the wrath of God just as much as you were of the forgiveness of God. That was normal back then, but not, not today. I wonder if you could grab the transcripts of a hundred Christian sermons being preached in this city and just do a word search for hell. How many sermons would even mention it, much less focus on it, much less believe in it? Uh, times have changed. And so is Christian art. Google pictures of the Sistine Chapel that 
that famous painting from years ago, and you will see glorious depictions of Jesus on a throne of all the angels and saints in heaven. And in that same picture, right in front of this famous church, are gory and gruesome pictures of the demons and the torments of hell. This was not hidden in some back room where you needed to show your ID before you saw it. This was the backdrop of the church that worshipers young and old would see every single Sunday. I was thinking the other day, what would happen if we'd put just the art of the Sistine Chapel in the lobby of our church? Would parents cover their children's eyes to save them from the nightmares and the trauma? Would modern parents even bring their kids to a church that had art like that? Would the grown-ups themselves show up? American church has changed. So was the music. Uh, when I grew up in church, there were quite a few songs that didn't just have little references and lyrics, but often stanzas, if not whole titles, that talked about the wrath and judgment of God, sections on the end times, the punishment, the existence of heaven, yes, but also of hell. Turn on Christian radio today and just listen for God's wrath. It, it's hard to find. Find something that talks about the eternal destination of every soul. It's difficult to find a single lyric. Uh, Times have definitely changed. So I guess the question is, who was right? People can get things wrong, and church people can get things wrong, and pastors and priests can get things wrong. Who is closer to the actual teaching of Christianity? But what would Jesus say about the art in the Sistine Chapel? What would Jesus say about modern American churches? Did he want us to, to fear God as a God of wrath who could cut the web that would plunge us into destruction? Or did he want us to love God because we believe that God is a God of love, acceptance, and mercy? Throughout the old sermons, the, the books, the songs, what I think or what you feel, if we could just go back to Jesus, what would he say? Well, today we're going to find out. Today I want to try to preach to you not just a biblical sermon about the topic of hell, but a strictly Jesus-focused sermon. Every passage that I'm going to quote in this entire message comes from the Gospels, from the lips of Jesus himself, so you don't get some twisted opinion, some fear-mongering kind of Christian religious message. Instead, I want you to know when you walk out of church today, or when you turn this program off at home, exactly what Jesus, the God who came down from heaven, said about hell. So we're going to cover a number of big sections. We're going to learn just an overview of what Jesus thought of hell. We're going to learn how Jesus described hell, who Jesus says goes to hell, and how a person can escape the punishment of hell. So let's kick things off. In Luke chapter 12, verse 5, Jesus spoke in a single verse Many, many important truths about hell. Here's what he said. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. From that single verse from the lips of Jesus, I think we can learn three important things about hell. I'd love for you to write these down. Number one, 
that hell exists. Uh, If your concept is that heaven is real, but hell maybe not so much, Jesus, no, he says it right here. You should fear the one, fear God, who has the authority to throw you into hell. Well, it's sadly true that religious men like me have sometimes overemphasized hell to control people and force them to give money or do what they want. The idea itself can't be bad because Jesus is totally good and he himself talked about hell. In fact, in the version of the Bible that I use, I did a quick Bible search, all the passages where the word hell shows up, and 85% of the time in the Bible that hell is mentioned, it's mentioned by Jesus. The Savior that we think of, who loved us so much that he gave his life, the one who took time to love people who were excluded and kicked out of the church, the one who gave to the poor and healed the sick, the God of amazing mercy and compassion that even today we respect so much. He was the one, more than any prophet or any apostle, to talk about hell. In fact, besides from using the word itself, if you read the parables or the stories of Jesus, almost every other one is about one of two eternal destinations. He talked about eternal fire and punishment and eternal glory with God. He told a story about a guy who dies and goes up to heaven with Abraham, another guy who dies and is very far from Abraham in the torments of hell. Jesus said very clearly, multiple places, there's no misunderstanding his big teaching that hell exists. Number two, Jesus in this passage also said that hell is what happens after death. When we use the word hell in modern American culture, we normally talk about something very, very difficult here on earth, correct? That was as hard as hell. Oh, I was in boot camp. It was hell. It's as hot as hell today. Jesus is saying that you might go through something very difficult, even very agonizing in this life, but what you go through is not hell. Remember his words from Luke? He said, fear God who after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. If you're alive, you haven't experienced hell or heaven. Those are a state of being that happens not before death, but after it. And finally, in this passage, Jesus says that hell is under God's authority. That's a direct quote there. Jesus says, fear the one who has the authority to throw you into hell. So when I die, I will not get to choose which direction I go. And when you take your last breath, your family and friends will not gather to make a vote whether you're worthy of heaven or should be condemned to hell. God single-handedly will decide where you spend forever. And that's why in the single verse, Jesus says not just once, but twice, you should fear God. It's a fancy way of saying it in the Bible. You should have so much respect and reverence for God that you listen to what he says and you agree with it. You might think this about heaven or hell. Your parents might have raised you like this. Your pastor might have said this. Don't fear them. Jesus says, fear the God who knows the truth. The one who came down from heaven is the one who can teach us the truth about hell. Put that passage together in a single verse. Jesus wants you and he wants me to know that there is a hell. It's a place that some people go after death and they end up there because God has the authority to throw them into hell.
That brings us to our next question. Well, what's it like there? But what is it like when a person, a soul, ends up in hell? We can't experience heaven or hell on this earth, so how are we supposed to know what it's like? Well, Jesus answered that question when he compared hell to a place that people in his generation knew all too well. It was called Gehenna, and I'll show you a picture of what it looked like. Gehenna was a literal valley on the southwest side of the ancient city of Jerusalem. It still exists today. Uh, I have run down into that valley and back up out of it. It is incredibly steep. Jerusalem is a a city of hills and valleys. So when I tell people I've been through hell, I have. (laughs) And I came right back out of it, and then I went back in it, and then I got back to my hotel. Why would Jesus point out that place? Gehenna is the Greek word he uses in many of these verses. It might be odd to us, this beautiful valley that you see, but in Jesus' day and in Bible times, it was the opposite of beautiful. Gehenna, for many years, was the town dump. Garbage was pushed out of the city, piled in the valley of Gehenna, lit on fire. It stank. The fires burned. The smoke billowed. The worms crawled in the rot. That was Gehenna. At earlier times in biblical history, in the same place, its old name was the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. You can find this in your Bibles. That was a place where child sacrifice and pagan worship happened. Some false gods of Old Testament times demanded children to be sacrificed to make them happy. And they'd build these big, like bronze statues with glowing metal arms and parents to appease the gods would place their little ones who would roll down inside into the fire. There was shrieking and screaming and death and unthinkable things. When Jesus wanted us to understand how how bad is it in hell, he picked a place on the southwest side of Jerusalem, Gehenna, a place of fire and pain of unthinkable evil. That's why in a number of verses, Jesus makes points like this. He mentions in one verse, hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Fire, Jesus said, is in hell. You ever come in contact with fire before? Fire makes you forget about everything that's good. You could live in an amazing first world home. If you put your hand into the fire, you'd forget about your riches. You could be in a room with some of your closest family and friends. If you would touch fire, you'd forget about the love and affection. Fire makes you forget. That's why Jesus said hell is a place where the fire is not quenched. In another verse, he added this, Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Just like going to heaven is not a quick stop or a VIP visit with God, it's forever. You escape the pain of this world forever. You get to be in the glory of God forever. It's eternal life with God. In the same way, Jesus draws a parallel to not be with God, to be in hell is eternal as well. It's not a little bit of suffering. It's not atoning for all the bad things you did and then you're out. It is a perpetual sentence that endures for all of eternity. Jesus says the fire is not quenched, 
because some will go away to, quote, eternal punishment. And if you didn't get the graphic nature of Jesus' teaching, he tells a story in Luke 16 about a man who is in hell who says, quote, I am in agony in this fire. In agony, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and anger. That's what hell is like. Not according to some Renaissance paper uh, painter or some fire and brimstone preacher. That's what hell is like according to, to Jesus. Years ago, I was on a bus with one of my friends and uh, we met this woman who was not embarrassed that she was going to hell. Um, she was driving the conversation. We weren't like preaching at her or condemning her. She, she found out that we were pastors, we were Christian pastors, we were Bible-believing kind of pastors. And she said to us, you guys probably think I'm going to hell, but I'm okay with that because all of my friends are going to be there. Now, I don't know her friends. I don't know where they believe or where they will go when they die. But I do know this, that her logic, according to Jesus, was absolutely wrong. I'm okay with it. No one gets to hell and is okay with it because there's fire in hell. If you were sitting around a campfire with your best friends on a beautiful summer night, good food and drink all around, and you fell into the bonfire, would you be okay with it? Being in the presence of people you love wouldn't make the pain any less painful. Jesus wants us to shudder, to, to grimace, to fear this place called hell. He, he has no time for these dumb depictions of demons with pitchforks poking people in the backside. Instead, he just wants us to quote and to think about his words, agony, eternal punishment, darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth. There is no happiness or friendship or love or goodness or good days in hell. All of that stuff is connected to God. And the goodness and grace of God does not exist in a place like hell. Which means we kind of need to know the answer to this question. Well, who goes to hell? I bet when you walked into church today or when you started watching at home, you had an answer to that question. Who goes to hell? Well, there's some people who absolutely deserve to. Right? The child abusers, the molesters who get away with it, and somehow escape justice on this earth, they will pay. God saw it, God knows, and God will get them. People who blow up innocent people, ram cars into innocent people, serial killers, those kind of people, you can rot in hell, you deserve to be punished by Jesus. We believe in that concept, right? There's a sense of justice in us that says no one should get away with it, especially not that. But what did, what did Jesus say? Well, Jesus would agree with most of that, actually. But he wouldn't stop just there. Let me share a few thoughts just from the Gospel of Matthew itself. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said that people who hurt children and lead them into sin 
will end up in hell. He said, if one of these little ones who, who are so trusting, if, if you damage them, scar them, lead them into temptation and evil, it would actually be better for you if a stone was tied around your throat and you were pushed into the sea. The agony of drowning would be better than what is about to happen to you. And in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus spoke to guys like me. He preached to the Pharisees and told them, if you use the people of God, if you twist the name of God to get things from people, if you're driven by greed and use the Bible and sincere religious people to get what you want, you snakes and vipers are in danger of the fires of hell. If you hate church corruption, Jesus hates it even more. He doesn't ask that pastors and priests like that stop being pastors and priests. He threatens them with eternal punishment in the fire of hell. In Matthew 5, Jesus is talking about murder. And he says, not just murderers, but people who are filled with anger. Jesus says, quote, if you say to your brother or sister, you fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. If Anger has led you into name-calling, demeaning people that God loves. Our Father is furious with such sins. Then in the same chapter, he spoke about adultery. And he said, adultery, yes, but also lust. Quote, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully is in danger of the fire of hell. God creates his sons and his daughters. And anyone who objectifies them with their words, their thoughts, their motives. I mean, can you imagine if you had a daughter and someone treated your daughter that way? That's how our Heavenly Father feels about his sons and daughters. And then in Matthew 25, same gospel, same Jesus, we find these words. At the end of one of his parables, he said, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Some people will be cursed in hell. Why? Here's why. Four, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. Then these people condemned to hell will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Ask Jesus the question, what sends a person to hell? And this is his one word answer. Sin. Yep. The big sins of moral monsters, of child abusers and serial killers, but that is not all that offends a perfect God. Adultery, lust, pornography, murder, anger, rage, argument, seeing someone in need and not having any time, not willing to be interrupted by the sick or those who are in prison, those who are poor, having a closet full of clothes and giving nothing to those who have nothing to wear, 
having a three-car garage and not giving a cent to people who are poor. To neglect those who are in need is to neglect Jesus himself. A sin so egregious, he says, the only just punishment in the eyes of God is hell. As human beings, some sins seem big to us and some seem small, but God is perfect and pure. Every sin is grievous in his sight. And my friends, there are people, maybe some here right now, who are in danger of hell. Just recently, I was thinking of of someone from our church who was raised with our church and who now openly on social media mocks the teachings of the Bible, is not struggling with sin but proud of their sin, of calling Jesus and his teachings wrong and their own heart's desires right. I thought about that person two days ago. And hell stopped being some abstract concept in some dusty old doctrine book. Hell is real. When God looks at a person and he sees sin, his justice as a judge prompts him to act. And if that offends you, the thought that adulterers and people who lust, murderers and people who are angry, those who are greedy, church leaders, that maybe you and I are in the dangers of hell. But, but before you tune this out, but before you never come back, before you turn the channel and never watch this ministry again, I, I, I just have to ask you this simple question. Have I added to anything that Jesus said? I've worked very, very hard uh, not to exaggerate his words or add my own spin. I've been trying very hard to just quote Jesus. Have I said what Jesus said? And if I have, don't you think Jesus knows what he's talking about? You're right. Sometimes pastors exaggerate. Sometimes churches go too far. But I am quoting to you the words of Jesus. And I'm telling you today that the one who came down from heaven, he knows the truth better than me, better than you, about the existence of hell. And if you have ears to hear him today, if you haven't turned the channel or logged off, if if you're still sitting in these seats, if you have the humility to listen, then there's only one question left. How do you get saved? I don't know your story and I don't know your sin, but I think of my own story. How many times on on the soccer field have I snapped in anger, called someone a name? I used to be addicted to pornography. How many times did I look and click and objectify a woman that God made? How many times did I see someone in need and was so stuck to my own schedule? I walked by Jesus himself. I I need to be saved. You, You too? And so I want to grab Jesus by the shoulders and tell him, how? What do I do? Jesus has an answer to that question too. Here's Jesus' answer. A half mile north of hell, 
Do you want to end up in heaven? Just go a half mile north of hell. Remember that valley, Gehenna? Look at a modern map of the city of Jerusalem. And a half mile north of Gehenna is an old hill called Golgotha. There on the southwest side of the city, the trash was burned in this depiction of hell. But a half mile north on that hill, just outside the walls of Jerusalem, there was a cross on a hill where the king of heaven gave us an answer. There 2,000 years ago, Jesus, who came down from heaven not to judge but to save, hung on a cross. There Jesus gave an answer to every single sinner who is panicked because we can't go back and change the past sins that we have committed. There 2,000 years ago, Jesus spoke to a man who knew he was in grave danger and he offered him the hope of heaven. You know that story, Jesus on a cross 2,000 years ago, a guy on his right and a guy on his left. These two men are mocking Jesus. Oh yeah, if you came down from heaven, then use your power and save us. How mad would I be if someone was mocking my daughters in their time of need and pain? And yet somehow this guy, somehow at like the 11th hour, something happens in his heart. He comes to see that he deserves to be punished for his sin, that he's messed up. And he comes to look at Jesus with fresh eyes that maybe he was more than he originally thought. He repented and he believed. Have you heard the conversation? In Luke chapter 23, this man on the cross said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Like, I believe you're the king of heaven. You're about to enter your kingdom. Don't forget me, Jesus. Don't cast me into hell. Remember me. And what does Jesus say to this guy? Literally, just mocked him to his face. A criminal, an evildoer. I love what Jesus says. One of the best verses in the Bible. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. What a verse, huh? Today, there's no place like purgatory where you've got to suffer for a bit until you're good enough. No, today, you, not just people who haven't sinned, haven't messed up, a sinner like you will be with me. Not squeaking in the back door of heaven far, far from my throne. You will be with me. Where? In paradise. Not in punishment, but in paradise. Not condemned to hell, but worshiping in heaven. Jesus said to this man who repented and who believed, today, you're good. You're safe. You've been rescued from the danger. You don't have to do a million things to make it up to God. You look to me in repentance and faith and you are safe. You are saved. Please grab a pen and write this down. It's true that sin sends a person to hell, but Jesus saves us from hell. Jesus is the one who by his blood wiped away every sin. He covered us in his perfection. So when God looks at anyone who repents and believes, he does not see sin. He sees the perfect life of his son. Here's the thing you need to know. If you reject repentance, if you want to live in your sin, if you don't care what the Bible says, if you're not going to change, the smallest sin will condemn you to hell. But if you repent of that sin and look towards Jesus, the biggest sin can't keep you out of heaven. 
There are only two places your soul will go after you take your last breath. And today Jesus makes it clear. We don't have to wonder where we'll end up. We don't have to hope. We don't have to wish. If we've repented, if we've come clean to God, let go of our sins, change me, God. You, you, you be the Lord. You get the last word. You tell me what's right. You tell me what's wrong. If you've repented and looked to Jesus, you're safe and you are saved. And let me say that again to those of you who are here today with very tender hearts. I can think of people in this room right now who have been repenting and believing for years, if not decades, and they still wonder if they're going to make it. I tell you this, Jesus made a promise with his own blood, and he's going to get you there. You might think about your weakness, you might wonder, but Jesus says you are in the palm of his hand. You may be a sinner, but you are a sinner in the hands of a loving God who refuses to let anyone take you away. You can doubt it, you can question it, you can freak out about it, you can worry about it, you can stay up late being anxious about it, you can freak out like that little kid on his first airplane ride wondering if he's going to crash, but Jesus is a good pilot and where he lands is the gates of heaven. He's going to get you there. (laughs) You know, before our first church service, I was thinking, a bunch of people told me they're bringing someone for the first time ever to our church today. Great Sunday to be here, huh? (laughs) And then I thought, it's the perfect Sunday to be here. If I give you five biblical tips on better finances, or six ways to have an amazing relationship, I could help you for a little bit. But maybe, even if this is your first Sunday, Maybe God has you here today like that thief on a cross. That before it's too late, you can repent of your sin and believe in the one who came because God loves the whole world. Wherever you're at right now, however bad the past has been, God really does love us. He loves us so much that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a savior he is. My friends, according to Jesus, hell is very real and so is heaven. And if you're clinging to Jesus and not your own sin, you know how the story ends. Very soon, you will be with God again. Let's pray. Um, God, we, we want to believe in all of you Uh, You've described what you are like in your entirety in the Bible, and we don't want to pick and choose our favorite pages. I wonder, God, if generations ago, Christians missed your incredibly merciful and forgiving heart. If it scared people and made them wonder about heaven, even repentant people, uh, God, we don't want to be that kind of church that preaches so much fire and brimstone that people are afraid, that people don't know your love. And God, we also don't want to neuter you. We don't want to act like there is no judgment in this book from the very first pages, from the flood of Noah, Sodom and Gomorrah, the judgment of the prophets, the exile of Israel, the teachings of Jesus, and the book of Revelation from cover to cover God. You are a God who loves what is right and punishes those who do wrong. 
So I pray, Father, for courage for, for me, for our pastoral team, for our church, that we wouldn't pick and choose pieces of you, but we would preach all of you. And I pray, God, especially for the two kinds of people who are listening right now, who are praying with me, that some would not take you lightly. Some would not think that they're okay while they're living in sin. Jesus, you weren't exaggerating. When you said it twice, fear God who has the authority to throw you into hell. Do not be deceived that those who live sexually immoral lives, the, the drunks, the slanders and the swindlers, sinners who don't repent, will not enter the kingdom. And God, help us to believe that when we repent, when we come to you with all of it, the worst of it, there's a very simple answer that you respond to everyone who is humble by lifting us up and preparing a place for us in glory. God, some people need to be disturbed by their sin. Others need to be comforted by your grace. So work in every individual heart what that heart most needs. May your kingdom come and may your will be done. I pray this all in the saving name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.